Hello, my fellow fallible humans. How you doing? This is the Red Roof Recovery Show, a program to soften the path of recovery from substance and behavioral addictions. And you know what? It's not just for addictions. No, it's for life. I first want to take a moment, though, to thank my dear friend, Russell Allen Scott. Very talented guy. He has written this beautiful piece of music. It's called Greatest Bravery. And uh, I just love Russell's music and his sentiments about life in general. And I love this song. It's an an appropriate theme song for the show because it has certainly taken great bravery for me to come out publicly speaking about my addictions to drugs and alcohol. My name is Tanya McIntyre, and I'm here with you every week for 30 minutes to share the experience that I've acquired over the years through my own recovery from mental health disorders. I use a variety of tools and techniques and strategies that I'll be sharing with you on each episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. And you will hear me say often that there are hundreds of tools of recovery that you can use to manage recovery and life. I think the key for everyone, because we're all different, is to keep looking until you find something that clicks with you. And when you find that something that resonates for you, you want to grab onto it with both hands and keep doing more of it. Uh, assuming that it's something that's good for you. And during my decades of addictions, I was fortunate to not lose one of the most important relationships in my life. And that is my relationship to my spouse, my husband, my life partner. His name is Lance, Lance Lance. Uh, He has bravely agreed to join me for another episode of the Red Roof Recovery Show. Welcome, my darling Lancelot. You're welcome, my love. I appreciate you being here with me. Um, it's funny, you know, when we met, uh, he was introduced to me as Lance. He's from the UK, and they say, L-A-N-C-E is pronounced Lance in the UK. So, and of course, my name is the Tanya Tanya uh, paradox. So I thought, oh my God, I couldn't just meet somebody, Mike, Joe, Bill. No, it had to be Lance. So now we've got the Lance Tanya, Lance Tanya thing going. But hey. It works. It works. It's the, uh, the pasta pasta, whatever you say. That's, that's how it's pronounced. In previous episodes of the Red Roof Recovery Show, you have shared your experience about what it's like to live in a relationship with someone who is slowly killing themselves with addictions. And I, we've had great response from that show. Uh, I've been doing this show here in Godrich, Ontario with the stage for a year now. And I, when I think of it, I'm getting better now to post every show every week on YouTube. Um, and I, I'm not very good at self-promotion. I'm getting better. But this episode, that last episode with uh, Lance and I talking about what it was like for you to live with me through decades of my addiction, uh, it got 92 views. Now, I know that's a drop in the bucket to a lot of views, but I'm, only, I'm used to getting like three or four views. So when I saw 92, I thought, ah. We might be onto something here, talking about our relationship and the challenges that come with living with someone who is uh, mired with mental health disorders, including addictions. So I would like you, if you could, I know it's a big ask uh, for somebody, but if you could sum up that experience of what it was like for you to live with me through my addictions, if you could sum it up maybe in a paragraph or two, (laughs) that might help someone else um, facing this. What would that sound like? Well, I've given this some thought, and um, I think the seven stages of grief is the best way to describe 
the process of what I went through. Now, obviously, all people are different, so the journey will be different for everyone, but I think the analogy is correct. And the seven stages of uh, grief are shock and denial, pain and guilt, anger and bargaining, depression, the upward turn, recognition and working through, and acceptance and hope. Mine didn't exactly go in that order, but that was the process. And people I've talked to going through grieving processes, it doesn't happen in that order for, for everybody. Everybody's different, like you say, we're all different animals. Exactly. So for me, the, the, the first part was the denial. The fact that you had told me when we first got together that, you know, you like to drink every night. But I come from a pub culture, which a lot of people drink a couple of drinks every night. It's not unusual. So as our relationship matured and I realized that you know, sometimes you drank a little bit more than you maybe needed to, um, I didn't want to look at that. I didn't want to go down that path of thinking I may have married someone with an addiction problem. So that was my denial. My next one was the bargaining, where I would say to you periodically, um, maybe it's time to rein in the drinking a bit, you know, slow it down. And you would measure out your brandy of a night and, and uh, you reined it in. Or did you? No, I didn't. You thought I did. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> then there was the pain and guilt. The realisation that I couldn't help you. As much as I tried, I couldn't help you. Then came the depression. With the realisation I couldn't help. And the whole thing of why? Why can't you stop? Why can't you stop for me? Why? Why are you doing this to yourself? You know, I'm trying to help. And couldn't. And then the, the upward turn, or the turning point, for me, was, as we discussed last week, in, when we were in Rotan, and two of your sister's friends, who knew you from a young age, when you went on the rent, after imbibing quite a bit, I was walking along with them and they went, ah, there's the Tanya we remember. And that was the, the light switch, the realization that I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, we call that a catalyst for change. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, um, and it was a difficult decision to actually, you know, say, if you're going to keep doing this, I can't, I can't do it with you. Yeah, so, um, yeah, that was thing. And then the working through was when I saw that you were, you were trying and failing sometimes, but you were, you were, seemed to be more determined than I've ever 
seen you, even after you came out of Serenity House, the rehab that you went to, where when I picked you up in uh, Seville, I said to the gentleman, I've got my wife back because you looked totally different. You had to sparkle in your eye again. You know, it was the person I married before you really got into your your bad behaviours, your addictions. So, uh, yeah, I could see that you were, you were trying really hard. And the acceptance and hope is that you're trying every day. You're working on it. Which gives me hope that, you know, this is a journey that we're on together and you are going to abstain and we are going to have what we've got now. So let's fill everybody in on the Spain rehab story because we had an opportunity to move from Canada to Spain, Mallorca, Spain, in I think I had said in that episode, I got the years wrong because one year runs into another for me now. It was 2007, 2007. we left yeah. Canada for Mallorca, Spain. And then, of course, uh, the crash, the depression of 2008, um, which wiped us out in most of the world. Um, but we hung in to, uh, to continue there until 2011. And yep. then we came back to Canada. So during that time, my addictions had progressed and um, Spain helped me spiral downward very quickly because it's a, it's a country where they offer uh, brandy and wine, two of my favorite drinks at that time, were cheaper than water. So not a good place for someone like me to be, uh, especially mired in the bureaucracy. I was also mired in bureaucracy yeah, there for you couldn't work. Uh, over a year. So I was unable to work, which didn't help, right? Idle, idle time, dangerous place for anyone struggling with addictions to be in idle time. So I spiraled down quickly, very quickly. So that was kind of a godsend because I don't think I would have lived if I hadn't um, called that rehab. And I was so bad at that point, I was staggering to bed every morning when you were fast asleep, long fast asleep. And I had reached out for help on my computer one night uh, without even remembering it. So when I got up the next day with a hangover, uh, my phone rang and this guy said, Hi, Tanya, it's Anthony from Serenity House. <laughs> and I said, Hi, Anthony, Serenity House. Wow, that sounds cool. Where's that? And he said, We're a recovery house in Seville, Spain, and you sent me an email last night asking for help. <laughs> And I said, okie dokie then. That's a pretty strong message. So I uh, talked to him about the program and made the arrangements to go. Um, but of course, like anyone who is uh, living with active addiction, I was counting the days where I could get another few days of drinking in before I actually get on the plane to go. And then I drank on the plane for the whole trip and staggered off uh, the plane when Serenity House was there to pick me up. So that's how my journey into recovery started in 2009 in Seville, Spain. So when Lance is talking about coming to pick me up and feeling like you got your wife back, the sparkle had returned to my eyes. That was picking me up from Seville in 2009. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it was like getting my wife back. Mm -hmm. And I felt like I was back for a long time. Uh, it was a 12-step model of recovery, which was 
uh, the, pretty much the only model of recovery available in rehab centers at that time in 2009. So I was indoctrinated uh, by the 12-step program, which saved my life at the time, absolutely. And something else that got me on more of a mindfulness journey was that the uh, manager of that rehab facility uh, was an open-minded person who was trying different things and introducing mindfulness into the program. And part of my homework was to read a book by Louise Hay. Uh, Louise Hay became a virtual mentor of mine. She was a self-help guru of the day and a best-selling author. So one of her books changed my life. She was what I needed at the time. And she was like that warm, soft hug that many people who are challenged with addictions talk about when they take a hit of whatever it is that they're addicted to. It is like a warm, soft hug. And Louise Hay was that for me at the right time, in the right place. And she encouraged me to start doing something called the mirror exercise, a self-love practice where you look in the mirror every day and say, I love you and you're worth it. Very difficult thing for me to do at the time because I loathed myself very deeply and uh, had sobbing cries in front of the mirror before I was actually able to formulate the words, I love you and you're worth it. But I stayed with it because I kept reading Louise saying, you can do this. You are worth it. You're valuable. You're a child of the universe and you can do this. I believe in you. And those words kept resonating with me and I finally got there. And now years later, it's still my morning routine. I look in the mirror and I say, I love you, Tanya, and you're worth it. And that is not prideful conceit. That is a very important self-love practice for me because I need to continue to do the work to sustain my recovery and self-acceptance, unconditional self-acceptance is a crucial part of that uh, journey for me. So that mirror exercise helps me greatly. And I'm sure you've walked past the bathroom from time to time and said, oh, there she mm -hmm. goes again, loving herself. <laughs> yeah, I think Spain was, was the big turning point within this journey. I realized something had changed when we went to Spain because we were still in the bargaining phase of our relationship when it comes to the addictions. Up until we went to Spain, I, as I said, I would say to you, you might want to rein it in and you'd start measuring out. When we went to Spain, and I vividly remember standing in the kitchen and me saying to you, you might want to rein it in and you just chewed my head off. And I knew something had changed. So when I came down that, I think I came home from work and you said, I'm going to rehab. I was overjoyed. I thought, and it might sound not very nice, but I thought at last she's taking some responsibility. Mm. <clears throat> yeah, that's a big one. Taking responsibility because um, as much as I talk about the indoctrination of 12-step programs, um, I still go to AA meetings. I love them. I love the peer support. And the meetings are more plentiful. So it's easy to find one wherever you are in the world. They're all the same, but they're not all the same, right? I've gone to some AA meetings that I don't like, some AA meetings I really like. I think it has everything to do with uh, who's running them, who's, who's the chair, and who frequents them. It makes a big difference. 
hence the peer support, really important. And I, I just love the slogans, right? I live by the slogans, one day at a time. Um, they, they have a prayer that they say. It's not really a prayer. It's, it's a well-known yesterday, today, tomorrow. Um, it's inspiration. It's philosophy. It's motivation. So we read that together. And a lot of people get hung up on the, the whole God concept that's associated with 12-step programs. And granted, uh, you know, they, they could evolve into this century. It would be good. But they also say, take what you need and leave the rest, right? They're not even caught up in the God concept. And that's what I used to do in these meetings when I would go to a meeting and hate everything about it and saying, oh, do I have to do this for the rest of my life? Um, take what you need and leave the rest. So I still struggle with the God concept in life because of my past behavior and past um, abuses from the Catholic Church, you know, that indoctrination and, and being brought up in that environment still stays with me. It's a bias that I'm still working on in cognitive behavior therapy with, with SMART. Self-management or recovery training certainly helps me get there. Well, I think we could do a whole Oh, yeah. I'll show them Hours worth, and we've only got 11 and a half minutes left. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But, yeah, the... Uh... And there's the rabbit hole that we keep going down, right? It's very difficult to stay on topic with this because I'm so passionate about so many other areas. Yeah, which is good. Yeah, it's good to... But sometimes focus can be... Focus, yes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm probably yeah. an undiagnosed uh, OCD obsessive compulsive disorder person more labels more labels yes what i love about smart is that it discourages the use of labels that's another thing i, I feel like i've uh, i'm undergoing a covert operation now going into 12-step meetings not calling myself an alcoholic or addict just saying i'm grateful to be sober or grateful to be here for another day drug and alcohol free and it gets people's attention and it opens up conversations and now i think 12-step programs are starting to evolve a bit, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so let's refocus. Yeah. What are we talking about? SMART and how finding SMART in 2018. So I've been a facilitator with SMART, uh, self-management and recovery training, and I went looking for a more secular program to this 12-step program because I was going to a lot of funerals. And I was a chronic relapser. I knew it was just going to be a matter of time before I didn't return from a relapse. So when I found SMART, that was something that I resonated with immediately. I like the cognitive behavioral therapy. I love thinking therapies, challenging my thoughts, developing critical thinking, which is something I was never really taught to do in, at any other time in my life. So it really resonates yeah. with me. And that's actually how Red Roof Recovery has evolved. Uh, Red Roof Recovery was actually an idea that came from Lancelot. Do you want to tell that story? It's pretty good. Yeah. So we were living in Cambridge and we bought the property in Goderich. We came out because Tanya wanted to move out here full time. And she had an interview with a driving school. I was uh, waiting for her on the bluffs watching the sun go down and Tanya came uh, came to me and said no, nah, not for me, this isn't going to work as it happened, we'd bought a triplex and one of our tenants had given notice 
So I said to her, well, we've got the perfect opportunity. We have an apartment that is free. Why don't you start a recovery program? To which you said, but I was thinking big. I said, well, why don't we start small? And that's where the seed was planted for. So the tenant moved out and we'd had a red roof red metal roof put on the house and I was upstairs decorating your office and thinking you'd ask me to think of a name and I looked out and because of the configuration of our roof you can see the roof from your office and I thought well it's a recovery program and we have a big red roof <laughs> so why not red roof recovery thought it was a catchy name it is a very catchy name I love it and Red Roof Recovery is still evolving. And now, of course, with your retirement, you've become a more uh, relevant component to that evolvement as we develop a direction specifically designed for family and friends. Because as this evolves for me, what I'm learning is that people who are challenged with substance use disorder, alcohol use disorder, um, you know, various mental health disorders, uh, it's all about timing. You're not going to change until you're ready. Uh, which is why I love some of the tools from SMART, Self-Management and Recovery Training. I encourage you to check that out, smartrecovery.org, and go to the Toolbox tab. They have a lot of the templates there that we talk about on SMART Recovery Meetings, and one of them is the stages of change. So that's really helpful to read it. You know, I'm all about uh, seeing something and ruminating on it. Contemplation has been very helpful for me and my recovery. So that stages of change is, is important to look at, to say, where am I in it? Am I in denial, pre-contemplation? Am I ready? Am I, am I ready to start doing something? Because, you know, I, I watch, I tried to watch one of these um, sober series around interventions and, you know, the, the drama around that. My experience is interventions don't work. I wasn't going to get clean and sober for anybody but me. No. And, well, you know, when you're forced to do something, whether through family, uh, work, the criminal justice system, chances of it working are slim to none because you, you need to have the motivation to change. Yeah, but that's part of the journey for the loved one as well. Exactly. Is that, you know, from this side of fence, we're on our own journey. Now, again, we can decide whether that journey is worth it because the the airplane analogy is the one that comes to mind as in if the the compartment decompresses you're told to put your mask on first because if you're passed out you can't help anyone else so if i'm fixated on helping you so much which i cannot do until you want to change yourself and it's been detrimental to my life I can't do anything to help you. And coming to that realization is, is a big thing. You know? It is. So, and what I've noticed is that I'm being contacted a lot by family and friends. So I am going to start putting my direction more to that. And uh, I, I've now recruited you because SMART, Self-Management and Recovery Training, has just opened up a scholarship to encourage people to become facilitators. So you want to check that out. This is, uh, where are we? April of 2022. Mm -hmm. They're offering that for the rest of the month. Smartrecovery.org. 
And so now you're going to be taking that training to become certified to facilitate smart family and friends meetings with me. I love that. Well, like you say, uh, the, the loved ones and the friends and that are, are impacted just as much. Mm -hmm. Addiction is a family affair. Absolutely, mm -hmm. it is. Mm -hmm. For sure. Yeah. So I'm really liking this. And the fact that uh, the last episode that we did together, where you were so open, being authentic around your experience with my addictions and what it was like for you, it's gotten a lot of positive feedback from people who three said it's really helpful. Many is your best ever episode. Pardon? It's three times more than your best ever. Yes, episode. you're the analytics guy. Yeah. Three yeah. times. Yeah. More people responding. Well, I think so. people we're on to something. I think. I so. think people like stories. Yeah, they do, and we've we've got an abundance of stories. Uh, that's yeah. for sure. Yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> for sure. Well, thank you for being my guest, my life partner, my best friend, Lancelot. Thanks for the invite. Mm. I look forward to having you here every week. Thank you for being here as well. Uh, it's everything to me that you are here. You're an integral part of my recovery path. Absolutely. So I love that you are giving us this feedback. And let us know if, if you like what we're doing. If you prefer me sitting here solo, I'm happy to consider that too. Although I really like this the well, situation that we got going here. I like it. Let's mm -hmm. make it permanent. Well, I've enjoyed it so much. Um, why don't I come back and we talk about your journey? I'll ask the questions. Because Ooh. Because there's a lot I want to know. Yeah. Nice. So, mm, that could be interesting. Because I've learned how to be honest. <laughs> that's, that, the deception. Oh, yeah. Is, is very hard to take from Absolutely. the point of view of the loved one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Hard to persevere. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. But you've got to look after yourself before you can help your loved one. Well, I will... Uh, endeavor to continue being honest when you ask me some pretty tough questions, I imagine. We'll see. All right. So I'm happy to say that now that we are settled in Canada's prettiest town of Godrich, Ontario, and uh, we are affiliated now with The Stache, powered by Faux Pop Media. Thank you so much for what you're doing and encouraging me to embrace video. Uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, thanks so much for 98 to 98.5 CKWR in Kitchener-Waterloo, Ontario, uh, the city's multicultural station, the community radio station there. Thank you for your continued support. So if you think you or someone you know might qualify for this unique residential recovery experience we have here in Godrich, Ontario, please reach out to me at redroofrecovery at gmail.com. If you want to be a guest on the show, I would love to hear from you as well. I've written a couple of books, Mindful Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad, Sage Advice from a Single Dad. Uh, I wanted to build a legacy for my father. He was an extraordinary man, raising me as a single dad while struggling with his own addictions in the 60s and 70s. And I think he did an extraordinary job. And then, to maintain my sanity through the pandemic, I wrote a second book in honor of my father, it's called Daily Wisdom from My Philosopher Dad, Some Inspiration to Guide Your Days. And I set this one up as a journal because I love to journal. That's been life transformational for me. So this one has an inspirational saying on each day, 365 days a year, you can read the inspirational message. And then I encourage you to use the page 
to write your thoughts and intentions for the day. Because I have found that the power of words is very powerful, but the power of the written word is life transformational. At least it has been for me. So thank you so much for being here every week. I love having you here. I love hearing your feedback. Your encouragement and support means everything to me. I want you to remember that we tend to have this automatic negative thought process, the ants, we call them in recovery circles. So just be aware that that negative narrative is natural and you're not crazy. Then we learn how to manage those thoughts and manage those automatic negative thoughts with cognitive behavior therapy and other tools of therapy. Remember, there's great power in knowing that the only thing you can control in life is you. Talk to yourself like you talk to your best friend. I'm Tanya McIntyre. May the force be with you. And remember, you are the force. Mm -hmm.